we're going through the book of 1 Peter, and at times we're just going to need to slow down and, and take you know, small bites of passages in order for the truths that are here to, to cement themselves into our heart. And so as we start now in, in verse 13, we have finished a very powerful section of what the Apostle Peter was dealing with to those he was writing with who he said had been begotten again. You remember our study. That he, had, he was writing specifically to those who had been born anew, born afresh. And as we spent time, last couple of weeks, we talked about the byproducts of someone who is born again, a handful of things, a living hope, a joy in various trials, the salvation of our soul, and even the fact that angels are curious about us. And as the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to move past or now forward into uh, those subjects of what it means to be born again, what it means to have been begotten a second time, not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth, he now turns his attention to what the new birth in a believer should eventually lead to. What the new birth in a believer should eventually lead to. I've entitled this message, this passage, we may be in it a couple of weeks, the three insights into a new birth's pursuit of holy living. Now before I start to take us through some of the verses, every time you get to the subject of holy living, it's like I can feel it right now. The room gets quiet. Because we all have different concepts of what it may mean to have a holy life. If you know anything about church history, there was even a movement uh, called the holiness movement. And in that movement, there was a great emphasis on right living, right thinking. And in some ways, as it had its, its natural and good impact on people, as often sometimes things do, it became almost mechanical and legalistic in its approach to people. And so what is it that Peter is trying to say in these verses that are before us and we'll see how far we get? Well, I'm convinced that what Peter is saying, that this lifestyle, the, the pursuit of holy living in the life of believer has really uh, three dimensions to it the preparation for the pursuit of holy living, the price that was pray, paid for you and I for the pursuit of holy living, and what it means to purify ourselves in pursuit of a holy life. 
And he exhorts believers in this passage to meet the challenges of obedience and the pursuit of holy living by adopting a new mindset, by understanding the price that has been paid for you and for me that redeems us and calls us to reverence and obedience. And obedience involves allowing Christ by his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to cleanse our lives, purify us and lead us continually from the moment that we are begotten again, lead us to a life of, that pursues holy living. You and I can't go to the store and buy something that will wash us and cleanse us and make us holy before God. It's not a commodity, which is the beautiful thing that I remember in in getting into this study is that holy living is a lifelong pursuit. You you and I don't reach some mark and then go, okay, now I've got a, a holy life. There are valleys and mountains and crevices and and things that go on where we inevitably in tune with the person of the Holy Spirit brings things across our life path that we we agree to that we don't agree with that become acceptable that are unacceptable things that at one time were what we would do and things that now in Christ we don't do. It's the word of God that washes us. Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church, he said, we know he gave himself up completely to make her, the bride of Christ, the church, his own, washing her and cleansing her of all her impurity with the water and the powerful presence of his word. And in turn, I mean, I know it's a very serious subject. It should be. But in turn, what happens is our lives continue and begin and grow in becoming and being a sacrifice unto God. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the, the tabernacle and in the uh, temple, the, the, the incense used to rise and it was uh, representing the prayers of the saints. And those prayers were a reflection of their lives wanting to be holy and the animals would be sacrificed on the altar and the part that was sacrificed would be burned. I mean, talk about barbecue. There was a lot of barbecuing going on. And as that meat was cooked, that smell would rise. And if any of you have ever walked into somebody barbecuing, you go, oh man, that's good. I want to, ah, that smells great. Can I have a plate of that? It's as if the Lord was saying, the sacrifice of your life, endeavoring to pursue holiness, is a sweet, sweet smell to me. 
And the antithesis is that if we are not in pursuit of holy living, then our lives are not a sweet, sweet aroma to him. Three insights I I think we'll cover the first this morning. The first insight is has to do with the preparation for holy living. And it comes to us in verse 13, if you want to read it with me again. Peter said, therefore, what's it therefore? Because of all that has happened in being begotten again. Therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting about uh, the grammatical comprise of this verse is that the first, second, and fourth are participles, which means they are subordinate to the command. What are the commands? The commands are have hope and be holy. The participles are gird up your, the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope. So these preparations for pursuing a holy life, pursuing holiness in our life, pursuing holy living, There are three challenges that Peter starts with. You notice there in verse 13, the first challenge is to gird up the loins of your mind. What does he mean by that? Well, if you remember the culture and the era in which uh, Peter is writing, the men wore long robes. They were just makeshift overthrows that went all the way down to their legs that's what was worn but they also had a belt and the robe that they wore was not conducive for fast action or work and so what they needed to do whenever there was something they needed to do quickly or something they wanted to do uh, that required great effort they would take their belt and put it down between their legs and pull up they would gird up their Uh, overthrow and tie it what do you think Peter and the one whom Jesus loved we believe it's John what do you think Peter and and John did when they ran to the tomb they reached down took their belt wrapped it up and ran to that tomb and so it speaks of Something that we would understand in our English vernacular. The English vernacular would be similar to, all right, let's roll up our sleeves or let's take off our jacket and get ready to work. Gird up the loins of your mind. One commentator said that Peter was stressing, you must be ready for the most strenuous mental endeavors, never content with a flabby faith, Think things through, and you may need to discard some things as you think through your life. Whoa, hey, what a wake-up call, right? 
to gird up the loins of my mind, to, to know what I believe and why I believe it and how what I believe impacts what I do and what I have accepted as okay, what I've ex, uh, come to know that's not okay, that doesn't glorify God and therefore doesn't give me an inclination to pursue holy living in my own life, in my living room, in my workplace. And once a man, woman, or young person will do that, they gird up their mind, think about, think things through of what this choice or that choice or this direction will, will inevitably lead to, what will happen is you will end up with solid marks in your faith in Christ that no one can take from you. First challenge. Keep your mind ready. In the scriptures, in the word of God, keep your mind ready. The second challenge is there in verse 13 also. It's to be sober. Now, this word, like our English, uh, can have two meanings. The first of which is obvious that in the preparation to live, to pursue holy living, rather, one must refrain from drunkenness in the literal sense of the word. Be sober. Uh, Paul wrote about this in uh, Galatians 5.18, he said, And do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what, what alcohol and the consumption of alcohol can do for you and I as a human has no comparison with what the Spirit of God can do in our lives. And why would we pursue one instead of the other? And Paul said, you know, this thing here can lead to drunkenness. So uh, as Peter writes, he says, just stay sober. You're looking at a gutter alcoholic who has been redeemed and delivered. I mean, I know what it's like to wake up in a bush after a night because I drank too much. And the horrible after of that and so I have chosen in my household and in the leadership of this fellowship to encourage and ask that alcohol be removed. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say a Christian can't drink. But the Bible does say that we are to be careful that our liberty cause someone else to stumble. Clear scriptural. And so I may have the liberty to go have a glass of wine or a beer. I could, but I choose not to because what would happen if, like, you're out in the store and somebody sees you buying a bottle of wine and, and they really hold you up as, you know, high esteeming in the Lord. And it's like, oh, my goodness, they're buying wine. Hey, I guess I can. And that particular person doesn't know what it's like to not necessarily just have a glass of wine, but they have two or three or four
enough of that. But I will say, as I said, the English word has two meanings. One is to refrain from drunkenness in the literal sense, but the other is to steady your mind, to be sober. In other words, refrain from being intoxicated, not only from liquor, but from intoxicating thoughts. It's easy for us as Christians to sometimes be caught up in the newest phase or the latest fashion or the latest craze and find ourselves under the influence of something. Peter is appealing to his reading audience, preserve a balanced judgment in all things. Be sober. Gird up the loin of your mind. And lastly, the third challenge there in verse 13 says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. Now that phrase stuck out at me. I hope you're seeing it there. Maybe you want to underline it in your Bible or you can reach over and take your pen and underline it in the person's Bible next to you. That phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, appears only four times in the New Testament. Once in Galatians, once in Revelation, and two times here in Peter, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying that is that not only is there a, a grace that you live in, this hope that we have even right now, which allows you and I to endure hardship, the hope that we have in Christ. It's, it's one of the reasons we keep going is because we know there's an end to the story. We know there's something better yet to come. And what Peter is saying to every believer, his reading audience, and by the way, by way of the person of the Holy Spirit to you and I this morning is that the best is yet to come. And so rest your hope on that. Most can endure hardships because they know it's leading somewhere, even in the secular world. But Christians, all the more, we would endure hardship because we know the best is yet to come. Keep your mind ready. Be sober and rest your hope on the grace that will be brought to us. Not only are we brought into salvation by grace, not only do we live our life by grace, but that same grace is going to come to us at the revelation of Christ. How exciting. And now Peter goes on dealing with the preparation of a pursuit of holy living. In verse 14 he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. So he brings out uh, this thing, we would refer to it, of course, as obedience. And he's saying that there's a call upon the life of each one of us as believers that when our minds are girded up, when we've chosen to remain sober, 
when our hope is fully resting on grace that will be brought to us at Christ's revelation, that that leads to obedience in our lives daily, which is the comprise of a pursuit of holy living. As obedient children. Now, this morning, um, you've heard me talk about it before. I won't belabor the point too much, but I think we have a deficit in our culture here in America of children that know to obey, personally. Um, No one here, okay, let's move us out of the table. Your children are all great and they all obey. Um, But in our Western culture, we have a deficit of children that know obedience to their parent. And there's a variety of reasons for that. At times, some parents just don't know how to parent. And sometimes children just are given to rebellion. But if you, if you bring a parent that knows how to parent their child and a child that is not given to rebellion, even in that uh, most classical picture A child has a choice of whether or not they're going to obey what their parent says to do or not. Right? And, uh, you know, I I remember I didn't have a dad when I grew up. Growed up. That's terrible English. When I grew up, my father was absent. So it was one of those, uh, you know, no father in the house homes. Uh, Our mother, bless her heart, did her best to keep two wily red-headed boys in line. And boy, did we give her run for her money. She's gone home to be with the Lord now, and no longer is she wrestling with us. But in our formative years, man. And my older brother and I, he's at home this morning. He sends his love to all of you. I mean, we... We knew what it was like to just run our own life, to not obey. Every now and then, our mom, when we were small, she would, when she got to that point of, these boys, they need some discipline, she had a, a, a wood shingle. You remember when houses had wood shingles? And they weren't the big ones that you see today. They were thin. And she had a little wood, red wood shingle she kept in the drawer. And if she was going to spank us, she would take out that wood shingle and give us one swat or maybe two, right? You know, and then Dr. Spock comes along. And he says, no, let the child form their thinking and, you know, let them be what they're going to be. Holy Jesus, look what we've got. As a result of the generation that embraced, just let children find their way. No, children need direction. They need discipline. They need love. And that love under uh, the umbrella of direction and discipline forms great children. And so Peter is saying, he says, as obedient children to our Father in heaven, 
You know, don't, don't force him to get out the shingle. Although he will. It's called discipline. And we're not to, you know, despise the discipline of the Lord when we willfully choose to push the boundary or, God forbid, willfully disobey. But he knew that, Peter knew, that who he was writing to and who would be reading this letter circulating throughout the churches, that a large company of them were Hebrews, Jews, Hebrews who had followed uh, the laws of Judaism and that now had come to a, a faith in a resurrected Savior, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And now that the Messiah has come, well, aren't we free to live the way we want to live? We're no longer under the law, as Paul would write to the Romans. But you remember what Paul did write to the Romans. Chapter 6, verse 1, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, or God forbid. This thing called the grace of God gives us great freedom, church. It gives us huge liberty. I'm so glad I'm free in the grace of God. But in that grace, there's a responsibility to walk in obedience to God. Are we touching any buttons this morning is what I want to know. You see... Paul said it this way. He said, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Have you been in the water? Have you dunked yourself in that water? Did you willfully say, I, I believe Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sin, he was resurrected the third day, and I asked him to forgive me of my sin and come into my life and live. If you've done that, and you happen to be in a body of water, and somebody put you in and brought you up, the Bible says you're dead to sin. I'm dead to sin, you would say. Well, then why do I keep sinning? And Paul understood that. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. The apostle Paul gets the concept. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's a pursuit, beloved. It's not a one-time reached goal. It's an ongoing pursuit in our lives to come to a place of enjoying that pursuit of holy living. And it involves not conforming. Obedience to God means not conforming to a lost world. That's why he said to them, uh, in your ignorance in your former lust. Because 
after all, they could kind of live the way they wanted to and then just bring the right amount of sacrifices to the temple or, you know, be there for the three festivals of the year or something. But this was like, no, uh, you're free to choose every day how you want to live. You're no longer under the legality of what used to bring you into right relationship with God the Father. You are now in right relationship with him because of the efficiency of the blood of Christ and Calvary. So now you, you're free to choose. But in that freedom, there's great responsibility. The responsibility of obeying, which means not conforming. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined them, Romans 8, 28 and 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. So this preparation, this preparation of, of seeking to live a holy life, seeking to pursue or pursuing holy living, I think it's important this morning so that we clarify um, holiness and the pursuit of holy living. What, what really does that mean? And it comes to us in verse 15 and 16 says, but uh, as he who called you is holy. And there's, there's the dividing point right there, that word but. In verse 15 when it says, but... As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. King James Version says, all your manner of living. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And Peter reaches back to all the way back into the Tanakh, the law of God, which this uh, command, call to holiness, surfaces in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 14. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. What does the word holy mean? Because we probably come this morning with a whole bunch of concepts of of what it means to be holy or to pursue holiness or to pursue holy living. I mean, what does it mean? Well, good thing we have lexicons and Bible dictionaries today. In the New Testament, the word is hagios. And if you're taking note this morning, it means apartness. Apartness. To be apart. It also has with it the sense of being full of awe of who God is, morally blameless, blameless, pure, and ceremonially consecrated. We stay that all again. Its definition means apartness. It carries with it full of awe, morally blameless, pure, and ceremonially consecrated. To be a part. 
And Peter adds, uh, in your conduct, as I said, the King James Version of the Bible says, uh, your manner of living. And so the preparation for the pursuit of, of holiness or of holy living in our lives really is, is summed up, if I'm going to prepare for it, if I'm going to say, yes, I sense that God wants, because of what he is saying in his word, me to pursue holy living, and it's as clear as can be there in First Peter, because you've been begotten again, because I've been born again, doesn't mean that I just get to go about my business and I'll answer the call at Judgment Day. That's a whole other theological discussion. But it certainly does, as I read through this, it says, no, Peter's saying, no, you're to pursue holy living. And that begins to prepare for it means, as we summarize this morning, to meet those three challenges. First of all, be ready in your mind. Know what it is you believe and why you believe it. Stay away from an intoxicating anything. And rest your hope on the, what is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Secondly, don't agree to conform to the world's ideologies. You and I should have a clearly different outlook on all of the things that fall under the umbrella of the world, the unsaved ideology. The closer we get to Jesus, the more it should seem like we don't fit. Have you felt that lately? Man, media, government, the list is pretty long. Seek to, you know, restrict and pull in these things that are our rights in Christ or our freedoms in Christ. California itself has some horrible laws. Don't agree to conform to the world's image of things. And lastly, Embrace what not conforming will do. It will set you apart. You will no longer be uh, that group's friend. You will no longer be kind of accepted into that circle of, you know, whoever. I remember, and I'll close with this, when I first was... Uh, Brand new in the Lord, I rededicated my life in 1980. It wasn't very long until I became a butcher for Lucky's. And I've shared this before. Butchers are a little bit like construction workers. They can be pretty rough around the edges. I've known a few sweet ones, one of which is still a friend of mine today. But um, some of those guys were pretty rough around the corner. And I would walk into a shop and and talk about thus saith God and the Bible is and this and oh that's there's the Christian and I made a lot of mistakes in that scenario there are times when as a Christian I didn't do the right thing in a meat shop 
But what I did feel almost instantly is, okay, that's him and this is us. And the world can do that same thing to you and I today. And what we're to do is embrace it. Embrace the fact that you and I will be different in the ideology of the world. Don't agree to conform. Roll up your sleeves mentally. Get in there. Stay away from intoxicating things and rest your hope in what's yet the best is yet to come. That's the preparing. In the weeks ahead, we'll get into the the practice and the sacrifices that are made to pursue holy living. But that's the preparation. Are you ready to prepare? Will you say, yes, Lord, I want to prepare to have you Show me the things that I may need to discard and the things that please. Powerful subject I know in the church today. Powerful subject in our fellowship this morning. Powerful subject in my own heart. Will you join me as we pray? us in a brief word. Heavenly Father, this subject is one that is who you are. You are holy. And we know we are not, but we see this command and admonition yet in Scripture to be holy. And knowing that there truly was only one man that walked on the face of the earth, that it embodied full holiness, our Savior Jesus Christ. We say, Lord, we can't. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Perhaps even this morning, Lord, whispering, putting your gentle finger on some of those things that we know you've wanted to deal with. So Lord, we say we're prepared. We want to prepare to pursue holy living in our lives. Do it by your spirit, Lord. Do it by your grace. For we know that's the only way it can happen. And we ask it in Jesus' name.